millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the World Football Index podcast. Today Armando and I are continuing our historical series looking back at the classic World Cups of yesteryear. Today we're going to take you back to a World Cup that really did revolutionise the game and set it up into being the global beast that we know it as today. As always it was a World Cup that England, led by the late great Bobby Robson, fancied their chances of winning. And they weren't bluffing this time, they had good reason as they boasted quite a squad going into the tournament. But as always in modern times, it was to end in tears for them, literally, and most notably for their most iconic player of the time, who nobody could have imagined was playing his last games for his country at the tender age of 23. And of course it was the Germans, who else, complete with the diving prowess of Jürgen Klinsmann, that ended the English party in a penalty shootout. Italian hopes were pinned on Gianluca Vialli to finally show himself on the global stage, but it was left to a little Sicilian with crazy eyes to steal all the headlines of this tournament. African nations finally made their mark on a World Cup. A nine-man Cameroonian side swept aside Maradona's world champions of Argentina in the opening game, aided in no short amount by the 150-year-old super-sub striker with the most infectious smile and dance moves I think we've ever seen on a football field, the great Roger Miller. The Irish were there too for their very first time, led by an England legend and now honorary Irishman Jack Charlton. Big Jack set down his fly rod, much to the relief of the salmon population in Irish rivers, and took the Irish all the way to the quarterfinals with some papal blessing and drama from Packy Bonner along the way. We had a Super Classico 2 sandwich beautifully in the middle. Any World Cup that boasts an Argentina-Brazil game is a perfect ingredient. The Argentinian fans to this day taunt Brazilians about this game. Claudio Canisius' winner is something that they will never forget and certainly something they'll never let the Brazilian population forget. This is the World Cup, albeit temporarily, made us all fans of opera music, and most of all of Pavarotti. Of course, I can only be talking about the World Cup that was Italia 90.
And after a nice little intro from Dave, we're going to jump right in here. And uh, WFI keeps the World Series, uh, World Cup Series rolling uh, with Italian 90. Uh, tonight we have a great panel. We have two great guests, and Dave Hendricks and John Henderson. And they're going to uh, give us their thoughts and insight on Italian 90 and the revolutionary World Cup that it was. So I'll start off and I'll go to uh, Mr. Dave Hendricks. Dave, how you doing, my man? And uh, what are your thoughts on Italian 90 and uh, your general, you know, observations from that tournament? Thanks, Armando. It's really good to be on. Nice to be back on with yourself and Dave. And it's my first time on a pod with John as well. So I've been looking forward to doing this one. This is this is my World Cup. This is the first World Cup that I can remember. I remember watching all the games. I've since watched pretty much all the games, bar two of the group games, since again I have the whole lot kind of um on a collection. So it's nice. It's one of those World Cups that I find I can go back still and watch because like I know a lot of people are down on it because there wasn't as many goals and it there was it was quite cynical in terms of, you know, the amount of fouls and a lot of red I think it's still the record holder for the most red cards in the World Cup. But it was so tactically brilliant. And it's also the last World Cup, remember, where the back pass rule was in play. So it always gave you that escape pass and teams were so clever in utilizing that, utilizing the offside trap. Um, every match was like a chess match, and we had so many great stories in this World Cup. Cameroon coming from you know obscurity to beat the champions in the opening game, um, and really launch African football onto the global stage. And now here we are, twenty five years later, and we go into you know the, the World Cup last year um, in Brazil. And African teams aren't just there to make up the numbers. They're not a surprise. We know all the players now. You know They play in the Premier League. They play for the clubs we watch all the time. As an Irishman as well, it was the first time that the Republic were in a World Cup. Um, managed by the great Jack Charlton. We did ourselves proud. Um, got to the quarterfinals. Lost in kind of shady circumstances to the Italians because of a goalkeeping error by Packy Bonner. But all in all, you know, it, it's just, it was a great World Cup. It's one I enjoy. I think it's, I think it's one of the best. Absolutely, man. And for me, I mean, like I, I like I was telling you guys earlier, I, I'm only, I was only three when this World Cup happened. So I'm really interested in hearing these stories and hearing your guys' thoughts because I've heard so much about this World Cup and the impact that it's had on shaping the game and what it is today. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. John, how are you, my man? It's great to have you back. Yeah, cheers, Amanda. Great, great to be on. Uh, oh, no, always thanks for having me. Our pleasure, my man. So, what are your thoughts on Italian ninety? What, what stood out to you the most, my man? Oh Jesus, I jumped at this when I when I heard there was there was a pod on Italian ninety. Um, yeah, I think as well. First and foremost, as as Dave said, there as a, as an Irishman, um, I, I was eleven, and I just remember it gripped it gripped the country as well. It was the first time I really seen the. I guess the the power of football, and I remember, you know, the the scenes on the streets and cars going down the road, blowing their horns when uh, after Ireland beat Romania on penalties. So, you know, from that side of things, uh, as as a kid, it was it was amazing. I think it for for a lot of reasons. I think it was the start really of the modern football culture as well that you have. I think football was a bit taboo. In the in the eighties, there was a lot of uh, fears about hooliganism. Um, like one of the things that people don't realize is that there, there was government papers. I think from England a couple of years ago released where 
they were they actually considered England, the, the English government actually considered pulling out of the 90 World Cup. They were so so worried about uh, hooliganism. Um, and indeed, when, when England were actually seated in the tournament um, and they were they were based on Sardinia, that caused a whole furore at the time because the Spanish actually thought they should have been seated because at that time you had your, you know, your six groups and the group seeds would have been all put at certain locations. And the, the Spanish had a conspiracy theory that England were only being seated so that the Italians could put them away on Sardinia on an island to control the, <laughs> the hooligans. Um, which when you actually think about it, if you look at the performance of England and Spain and the World Cups leading up to it, um, you can see you can see where the where the where the Spanish were coming from. Um, so against that backdrop, but it was just such a great tournament. You know, it was for all sorts of reasons. It was, I think, the as I say, modern modern football sort of came out of it. I think football gained a whole new uh, fan base. Um, you know, we with Gaza for England and the tears and um, and I think just a whole generation of people. It, it was obviously the time as well when after the Taylor report where yeah, you know the 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 stadiums were becoming all seater and and for me as well from a purely footballing point of view at the time I was I was starting to really get hooked on Serie A and in on, in Ireland on RTE they were starting to show a lot of Italian. Football and Monday night mm. Italian football. That was the that was the highlight of the week. So good, uh, you remember that? You'd literally oh, wait. It's it was crazy. You'd wait all weekend to go back to yeah. school on Monday to then have to have have yeah. that on on a Monday night. But the, uh, John, do you remember before that World Cup when all the like the tapes came out, the cassette tapes with all the World Cup songs? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? And um, it was like literally, it took over the country. It was just incredible. Like that's right. And I remember as well, grandstand. Uh, Des Lynham yeah. used to, on in the build up to the World Cup, he, he every week they would play the, the different World Cup song of the home nations <laughs> leading into it. So they would they had Scotland and they had England. And I remember when they had Ireland, I was so pumped up. I was sitting with a VCR with a record and play button ready to hit them, uh, to tape the to tape the song and stuff. And yeah, absolutely. And it, it was it was just at, at that time football was taken off and obviously you had the Holland Germany thing as well where my hero still my hero is Marco van Basten my, my favorite I played as a striker myself and Marco was always my hero and you had the three great Dutchmen playing for Milan and the three great Germans uh, that played for played for Inter and they obviously met in Milan and in, in this World Cup as well so it was yeah it, it was just a I, I, it still, for me, hasn't. People would say the quality of it wasn't great. You know, it was low for goals. I think there was only something like two point two goals or something, uh, which uh, per game, which is a real low at the time. But no, not for me. As, as Dave said, that that was it's still my favourite World Cup. Um, it, so it was it was great. Really looking forward to talking about it. Actually, here did, did any of you in your research happen to come across uh, the German World Cup anthem for for nineteen ninety? <laughs> if no. you remember. If you remember fantasy football with Frank Skinner and whatnot, they used to do homoerotic moments in football, and this would, this one would actually top anything you'll ever see for that. It was, it's actually scandalous. Uh, it's actually worth YouTubing. It's hilarious, absolutely hilarious. It's it's the worst World Cup song I think I ever saw. <laughs> Not like the Germans; they have bad taste in music, is it? 
No, they're, they're, they're meant to be so efficient. Well, they, they certainly weren't efficient for this. They, you know, uh, they, they went on. Uh, they went on very well in this tournament, but it certainly wasn't the back of that song. I can assure you. <laughs> they, they didn't have David Hasselhoff doing it from the Berlin Wall, did they? Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> no, it, it, it's well, you know, it's the end of the eighties. The mullets really are, you know. There's some wonderful mullets in the video. It, it's just like I was on the floor. Absolutely hilarious. That's another thing about watching this World Cup back is some of the mullet mustache combinations that were going on, especially with the German team, were just <laughs> outstanding. Like, but the, obviously the best haircut of the tournament was Rudy Vuller with the mullet perm. That's right. It's special, that very, very special. Tremendous. <laughs> the the rare but beautiful mullet perm. <laughs> I seem to remember as well. Was it one of the Czech guys? Was it Thomas Skurave? Had a real. Did he yes. have a real mullet? Yeah. He had a fantastic mullet, didn't he? He was. He was. Yeah, I think you're. I think those you're guys in They were allowed mullets. They 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 were bloody good players. You can get away with a mullet when you play like Rudy Vollard. <laughs> well, there was, and then there was Chris Chris Waddle who started the tournament oh. with a mullet, decided to cut it off. In the, in the middle of it, and the, and the minute he cut it off, nothing went right for him. <laughs> can can I actually just share an interesting thing about Chris Waddle? I have a friend at, who in Bonkrana who at the time wrote into Shoot magazine because Jimmy Greaves had slated Chris Waddle's haircut. And this made a man, he's quite vain, he's still quite vain. He had a Waddle cut at the time. He did have a Waddle cut, and he was only about, I think he, he, he was only like 12 years of age. And Jimmy Greaves actually wrote back to him. The letter was published with the reply, which was, it's bad enough that you have a haircut like a bleached bog brush, um, but even worse that you're boasting about it to half a million shoot readers. Please go and get your haircut. <laughs> Jimmy Greaves wrote back to him on shoot. It was the most impressive thing ever. We were so, that was, that was like the, the height of fame in those days, getting into shoot on a letter. <laughs> Listen, I think for, for me, this tournament, you know, I, I'm a little bit older than you guys. And, and for me, it was the first time that we saw really for a World Cup, real proper stadiums that we see today. You know what I mean? The, the revamp of the San Siro, uh, the Stadio de Alfi. You know, they, these were these were like brand spanking new, shiny, state of the art at the time. Stadiums like we'd never really seen, you know. And, and the, the, to, to this day, like we're in 2015, we've left, left 1990. A long way behind, but the San Siro still looks the part, and yeah. it was made for that World Cup. You know, it's still iconic to me, uh, and I think that's yeah. the first thing about Italian ninety that really sort of struck me. Uh, watching it, you know, I, I've watched the World Cup from seventy four. Really, my first one that I really, really watched all the games was seventy eight in Argentina. But but for me, I think the the, the opening of this tournament and, and and everything about it, you know, the Olympic Stadium in Rome looked beautiful. The, as I say, the San Siro for me, I've been there once. It's 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 just it's just a citadel of football. It's just an amazing amazing place. It um, is and, incredible. And, Do you know the stadium that's always stuck in my head though? Um, and this is mainly an Irish thing, but the Stadio Luigi Ferraris in Genoa. Oh yeah, where Ireland beat um, Romania, uh, isn't it? That's the ones with the yeah. orange walls in the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it awesome. just for some reason, it's always stuck in my head. And I got to go there a few years back, and it was it, like it's a little bit run down now, but it is, is that still, still there, Dave. Yeah, still yeah, there like those, still those there. designs, that architecture. Yeah. Um, the other one that always stuck in my head was the stadium in Barry, and I can't remember the name of it, the San Nicholas or something. But it was famous because it was one of the first stadiums that was actually built 
with a multi-level under, underground car park underneath it. And then, obviously, the they didn't know what to do with it after the World Cup, so they thought, well, we better buy some players. And they went and they bought David Platt um, to be the big-name player to go there and kind of help boost things. And then, obviously, he went on and played for other clubs as well. But, um, yeah, like it, it's true, Dave. Like The stadiums, they're one of the things that will always come to mind is the stadiums. And, like, they'd always... BBC, it would always be great for, like, panning the crowd. And you just see this wall of colour and that. And, like, as you guys were saying, it was the first kind of... This World Cup came on the back of all the, the hooliganism stuff. And there was a lot of worries about it and that. But you never saw any of that at the games. Everybody just seemed to actually be loving loving it. like, And you'd see different groups of fans sat side by side, you know, having a bit of a laugh. But kind of joining in to create one amazing atmosphere like there never seemed to be any like real trouble there now there there may well have been obviously a, because it was all in Sardinia Italy was a great place <laughs> but Dave do you know what as well it was so see then it wasn't contrived either I think there's a lot of sort of contrived unity in football now and artificial where you have Feckin' FIFA with their soft drinks and their their fan parks and there was none of that in Italia ninety. It was you know, then it wasn't this big global appeal where everybody wanted to be there. Um I remember my dad saying to me that, you know, he knew a few guys my poor dad at the time had six of us in the house, six kids. So he he wasn't getting away to away to Italy. <laughs> but he was saying a couple of his you know, his mates had gone and hotels and stuff, they didn't jack up the prices then. You know, it was real. You just went there. You enjoyed it. You know, everything was the fans would get together in the squares and have sing songs and have a few beers. And whereas now it's very it's very sort of sanitized, isn't it? Very corporate and everything's all there to try and get you to be a consumer and stuff. There was um, because football really took off after this World Cup, didn't it? It became this real global money money-driven phenomenon, mm. um, which is what I love about Italian Night. It was right before it sort of went crazy. But they stamped, the hooli- they stamped the hooliganism out, you know, just as this World Cup happened. It was, it was, the, yeah. fir- it was the actual moment of realisation when they said, here, if we're going to put a product out there and brand it the way we want to, we can't have this shit going on beside it. And, and, exactly. and, and, plus, and I think you're, all you're, the hooligans were basically told, look, lads, you don't want to end up in an Italian prison. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They they will lock you I'll up. Tell you what, I'd rather end up an Italian than a Brazilian one. I'll tell you that well, that's, for sure. That's right true now. as well. But, <laughs> you know, like the the thing is, you get that back then. That was kind of the threat to them. Like previously, the way they ha- had handled it, like at, at Euro '88, people who were arrested for hooliganism were just immediately deported. Whereas for this, the the the, the threat was, we'll keep you here, and you will serve your sentence here, and it'll be a long, long time before you get to go home. And I think, like, all, a lot of, like, you have to remember a lot of the hooligans, like, they had, like, their normal lives and jobs and families and all that as well. So it wasn't just a thing of, I'm going to get sent home and I might not be allowed to go to watch football anymore. It's like my life is going to drastically change. So they were quite good on clamping down on that kind of nonsense. But as well, like, the, you just mentioned, like, how the, all the money came into the game. Now, this was the, literally the last World Cup before the Premier League kicked off. Um, yeah. and money basically took over the game. I mean, I still, I, I do think kind of USA 94 kind of escaped that nonsense as well with where it was so money driven, even though obviously the Americans did it like huge and it was such a big spectacle. 
but it's it still had that similar kind of feel to Italian ninety. Whereas you watch the World Cup now and it just doesn't feel like it's a celebration of football for me anymore. No, yeah, you're quite right, and I think as well, Dave, is you know, the Premier League was was obviously ninety two that that kicked into gear, um, but Italy was a wee bit ahead, wasn't it? Because I mean, we remember watching the, the Serie A, but the money in Italian football um, was crazy at the time. Because oh, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned David Platt, and he signed for Bari, and that was five point five million, mm. and if you think about it, you know. If you think of something like Chris Sutton, when Chris Sutton went to, to Blackburn, and that was like 90, 1994, 95 season, that was for five million. So the, the Italians were years ahead of the English yeah. in terms of the really, uh, was it Lentini? Gianluigi Lentini yeah, went like to Milan. 13 million. million. Oh, and then a couple of years later, Liverpool spent eight and a half million on Collymore, which yeah. obviously, like, you know, a substantial amount less. And people were freaking out. At, oh, the, the game has yeah. gone mad with money. Well, like the Italians are doing this for years. And while we're in the middle of a podcast, I want to float an idea to Dave. Um, maybe at some point we should run a series covering Italian football from, say, 86 up to 06. Because that it is fantastic. probably... It was just fantastic time for Italian football. Yeah. It was, it was gold, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just incredible. So... You know, maybe that can be something that we can work on together uh, a bit, little bit down the road. But yeah, I mean, does everything about you know the setup to this World Cup, as as we were talking about beforehand, you know, Ness and Dorma was just such a spectacle. You know, the opening ceremony. You can even rem- still remember the opening ceremony and things like that, and like little quirky things like the bowl that they used and the mascots and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. It was just, it was just different. Yeah, but it was just right. Dave. No, it was just right. If you take, if you take the, 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 what the truth try and do now for opening ceremonies and so on, that's all this razzmatazz and like Sir. that lot of shite. You know, that lot of shite that went on here in Brazil last year. It was a lot of bollocks for, yeah. for my money. You know, have an opening ceremony. Yes, have a quick celebration. Five minutes, get on with the football because that's what the, yeah. that's what a World Cup's about. It's not, it's not that's a big pit bull stand morning. there. See, you know, it's, it's, it's not the Olympics. And that's where they've taken this idea. They see the Olympics to have this massive opening ceremony. And someone's got it in their head. That's what we need to do. And obviously, it's another opportunity for FIFA to rake in some sponsorship money and whatever else. But it does. It turns it into a circus. Like, and you're right. The one in Brazil was just dreadful. I remember the one in South South Africa in 2010 was shocking. But see, the Italians, being the Italians, did it with the perfect amount of class. You know, yeah. and and. They're just like I personally, I'd love to see the World Cup in Italy again sometime soon because I just think because they're so traditional about their football, I think they do it the right way. Like, I thought Germany did it the right way in 06, they stayed true to the history of the game and, and everything that they did to promote the game. Whereas, when, when you get a country like, say, you know, Japan, Korea, South Africa, and Brazil. It's going to be an awful long cycle before it ever comes back to them again, if it ever will come back to them. Obviously, it was the first in Asia, first in Africa, and the first in South America, and God knows what, since Argentina, 78. So they're trying to do the big razzmatazz and, you know, look what we can do. But at the same time, they're sort of doing themselves a discredit because it becomes too much about the circus and not, not enough about what we're actually here for. 
Oh, and, and on that point, maybe we should talk about some football. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> I, 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 I was sitting bitching about all the bad things. Do you know me. what, Dave? I was going to say one thing when we're on the subject of talking about football. For me as well, it was was a real start of understanding the power of punditry as well. And I know there's a lot of shit pundits about nowadays that we love to give off about. But I remember in RT in particular, especially after the, the Ireland-Egypt game, it was just hilarious. You know, you look back on it now and some of the, the, the giving out and the... As they say in Ireland, the giving out and the complaining and the, the arguing with each other about how Ireland were playing. And I think punditry became a big thing then as well when the Premier League came in and match of the day and Hansen and off. For me, football-wise, um, on the back of the and, and, and we had the uh, the Channel 4 show that came on there as well. Um, uh, James, James Richardson. Yeah. James Richardson. Brilliant. That, 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 that was a great show as well. And to be honest with you, at the time... We were getting live football. You know, live football was it was it was hard to come by. Yeah. And, and we, as you say, we we had on the ball on ITV, and you'd uh, the BBC's match of the day. Very very little live football, and then this show comes along, another league, another country, and and what's more, this league is technically so advanced compared to the crap we're watching in England. Uh, and and, and he, was just... he was able to give you all the kind of the in to know kind of gossip, like you know, as well. Absolutely, as, it wasn't it? So you kind of. Yeah, because it, it kind of like, especially like if you didn't have Sky Sports, obviously, and a lot of people didn't because they just couldn't afford it to have it on Channel Four, and then it, they would show a game live on a Sunday as well. And well, it you was really Gazetta, wasn't it, Dave? Gazetta yeah, football Italian, and you really Saturday become morning. more invested in the Italian football than in the Premier yeah. League because it was just easier to, to 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 access, and a lot of it was seeing players that we'd seen in the World Cup in ninety. And of course, then after that World Cup as well, lots more players moved. Like you, you mentioned, David Platt, Des Walker went over. Gaza obviously followed a couple of years later. There was just more and more players moving to Italy. And a lot of it was the money that had been raked in during that World Cup. A lot of it was just distributed among the clubs. And on top of the money they were already making and the sponsorship that had come in, they were able to you know go out, get the best players. And they really, I mean... You can make an argument that English football was still stronger even up until about 1990 domestically. It's just that obviously the English clubs were were banned from Europe. But through the 90s and the first half of the 2000s, there's absolutely no debate that Italian football was the pinnacle. Yeah, it was the king. Without it, as you say, those you know you watched those games because of the big names that were there. You know, everybody who was who was anybody playing football at the time went to Italy. You know, and and it was a spectacle. And and that and your idea is actually very good, Dave. I want I, I want to do that because at that time there's a lot of people, younger ones here, who don't realise what what Italian football was at that time, and it was magnificent. That's it. They, well, they've they've kind of come on board. After Calciopoli, when the league went through, we just hemorrhaged for years, and it's only now that Italian football's really starting to pick itself up again. Yeah, and 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 again, it was it was due to, to I think they overinvested in it, uh, and it caused a bit of a dip, as you say. That they're they're starting to recover. England at the moment, I think, is 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 copying that curve. You know, we're, we're certainly not the best league in the world or anywhere near it. Uh, performances in Europe this season don't look particularly good for English teams. Um, you know, it, it, it's just they need to come out of that cycle. And, and yet, in England, you know, the rest of the leagues in Europe laugh at England because there's so much money flying about. And how do these people manage with this much money flying about? You know, I know it's a big joke in Germany about what English clubs will pay for players. And, 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 you know, again, it, there, there's, for me, there needs to be some sort of equilibrium across the board. 
No, absolutely. Definitely, guys. And I wanted to ask you guys something, because you guys were touching on uh, Gaza and players like that at this World Cup. Uh, I'm not somebody that got to see a lot of Gaza or any of that other than highlights and stuff, but from what I hear, he was an exceptional talent and a phenomenal player. So what I really want to touch on that and want want you guys each to give me uh, your thoughts on on, on Gaza, if you guys don't mind. So I'll start with you, Dave. Which Dave? It doesn't matter. You now. (laughs) Um, which, which is it the Irish Dave? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, of, of like people always ask, like you know, you always get the player comparison. What player reminds you of this player or that player? And um, from the first time I saw Matteo Kovacic play, it was Gaza. It was like watching Gaza pre knee injury. Gaza was just special. Like, it, yeah, different to everything else that we'd seen. Just able to take over a game by himself, do everything, didn't really have any weakness, couldn't time tackles very well, but he was just such a special player on the ball. And it wasn't but more to, than that, he had just this personality that came out of the television at you. And when you saw him crying, and he was only a young guy at the time as well, and like you could kind of see, like you kind of, drew you to him because you could see how much this all meant to him and obviously there's that famous uh, scene where Lineker kind of does the shaky hand thing, keep an eye on him, he's not right and it made you love Gaza even more because he was that flawed genius and then obviously he got injured and then he moved to Lazio and he did quite well at Lazio in fairness but his career was never really, he never became the player he should have been but for the three weeks in Italy he was just, he was probably the biggest star in world football because everybody just fell in love with this guy because of how he played. He just played with such a big smile and he was like so much energy, wanted all his teammates to do well, didn't so much care about himself, but wanted everybody, you know, to be involved and have a laugh. And it, it's kind of how I suppose we were, us as kids would have watched football and thought, you know, you can relate to him. It's hard to relate to certain players. Like them German lads, they don't smile at all. They don't look like they're enjoying this, but that fella looks like he's there enjoying this game. Different class. Absolutely, man. Uh, how about you, Mr. Karen? What are your thoughts since you're the elder statesman here? Well, Gaza was a force of nature that sadly burnt out too quickly. Um, you know, he was, George Best called him the last of the great entertainers. And coming from George Best, I don't think there's very much more I would need to add on that. Um, you know what I mean? He went through that tournament, as Dave said, for three weeks of his life. He gave everything. And, and he didn't give everything to, to, for Paul Gascoigne. He gave everything for England. Um, if you look back at, at the, the films of this World Cup, you'll see that he took a, a massive swipe at the UK press, who were not, well, let's say, totally behind the team at the time, and, and, you know, he was accusing them of, of wanting England to lose. And they sent Gaza in front of the cameras, and basically, you, you know, when this guy spoke, he spoke from the heart. There was no there were no back doors to this guy. He was just a completely honest guy. There was no guy, filter you know? either. No, <laughs> I, I, what, what you saw is what you got, and, and he spoke his mind 100%. And it's just basically, well, if you don't want to support us, basically fuck off. And, and you know, those who do want to support us, come on, come on, come on, and, and we're going to play for you. But if you don't want to listen to us, go away. And, you know, that was quite refreshing at the time. Um, you know, we see lots of media stunts and whatnot in the day's game. But this, you know, was before the time of that. Uh, and, you know, to see a player come out and just with his heart in his sleeve, so to speak, like that, 
it was very, very impressive. And then what he did, like, you know, I'm sure Dave and John will remember the goal he scored against Scotland. I think it was in the Euros. Do you remember that goal? Mm, like, that, that's just gasp. He turned Tendry inside out about 10 times, ball over his head and, and, and finished in the top corner. Then the water bottle thing. That to me, you know, I think of Paul Gascoigne and that's what I think of. And, you know, there's, there's, unfortunately, there's too many similarities to George Best's career with, with, with yeah. uh, Gascoigne. And, and, you know, and, and, but there are also comparisons in genius as well. I, I thought the guy was just a genius. He burnt out far too soon. 23 years of age, as I said in, in the, uh, the preview there. And he was finished in international football. That's just criminal. Absolutely. Definitely uh, definitely way too short of a career, if you ask me. John, what are your thoughts, my man? Oh, ew. what a player. What, what, what a player he was. I mean, there, I, I think that's a real good shout by Dave, actually, Kovacic, when, you, when, when I think about it. I, I always think with, with Gaza, he was such a beautiful striker of the ball. Um, mm. when, when This might give you a laugh, but when Jan Mulby came out of prison, um, after the drink driving, Jan Mulby, that was the slimmest he ever was for Liverpool. And Mulby had this real elegance about him and the way he would strike the ball so effortlessly. And if you can think, Gascoigne had that about him. Yeah. He was so strong on the ball. He had this balance. He could swerve like, he could swerve the hips and go past people like. He was so strong see, as well. Oh, he, you know, his balance is. His centre of gravity when he was running at people, his free kicks. Do you remember the free kick he scored mm. against Arsenal? Was Arsenal. it at Wembley? Against David Seaman as well. Against yeah. David Seaman from about 40 yards. I mean, there wasn't a thing he couldn't do. And then Dave's talking there about Colin Henry. Colin Henry was a bloody good centre-back. He was mm. a key part of uh, Blackburn winning the league, and he and he toyed with him. Um, but, yeah, echo everything the guy said. A uh, real tragedy that he... The way it ended up with him, with it, with the alcoholism, and I think one of the big things when you look back at Gaza's, and I read the book, the the Being Gaza book, which is which is a great book. It's a real good read. It's a bit, bit dark and a bit you know gritty at times, but the one thing that always sits out at me is when he went to Tottenham. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, Ferguson wanted him at, at, at Manchester United. And I often wonder if he had had the influence of a truly great manager like Ferguson. You know, that father figure to keep him 
on the straight and narrow, mm. surround him with the right people, protect him from the media. You know, what could he have become under well, Ferguson? I, I, I always wonder that. If you think of you know? what Ferguson did for Roy Keane, yeah. who, who, despite the clearly different, like polar opposite personalities, there's a lot of similarities between them. Keane himself has spoken about his struggles with drink and, you know, getting in trouble in his early early years, especially, you know, when he went to United. And Ferguson just clamped down on that, and that was the end of it. And he, he turned Keane into one of the best midfielders the world has seen. And for sure. me, I, I think if Ferguson had got his hands on Gascoigne, oh. I think we'd, we'd be sitting here talking about the greatest English player of all time. And as Liverpool well, here, fans, I'm... we'd be even more miserable, probably. Yeah, Dave, absolutely. let's be grateful for small mercies. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't go to United and they, would have, they probably would have won a few more leagues and European mm. trophies. Well, here, I, I want to put a question to, to, to both of you here. Uh, um, my opinion on it is, if Gaza had not have been suspended for that semi-final, we might have seen England in the final. He may have been the difference that day because that was a very, very close game. Yeah. What, 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 what do you think about that, guys? The, the Argentines, or the, the German midfield, wouldn't have been able to cope with him. His ability to pick the ball up and run at people was so different to everything, everything else everybody was doing at the time. Back then, if you look at most of the midfielders, they're either guys who dictated play by standing in the centre circle and pinging the ball about, or powerful runners off the ball who would join attacks. Gascoigne combined the two, and as great as Lothar Mateus was, I don't think he would have coped well with Gascoigne in that game. Because Mateus looked really tired by that point of the tournament. He'd come off a long season and Gascoigne was just, it was had really come into that tournament. Phenomenal um, against Cameroon and Gascoigne in that game, then obviously his head just kind of went all wobbly and it, it basically did. I, I personally think that it, it, it stopped England getting to the final and I, I think England would have beaten the Argentines, to be totally honest, so, I think England were so strong because he did he did play against the Germans, wasn't it? He, he did. He, 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 got got booked. Booked. he got booked. No, Dave, yeah, he played. Yeah, he got game, booked though. quite early. He got booked early, and then he knew he was he was, he was out the for final, the, the final. But he yeah. was, but but he was playing, and it's and he's been dominating the game. Yeah, and and do you know what? It's interesting that it's funny, Dave, that you mentioned. Roy Keane there because I remember this parallel where they were talking about the, the different mentality of the players when when Keane got booked in Turin against Juve in that semi-final yeah. it was almost like he became a man possessed it was like I'm going to get this team to the final whereas it clearly Gaza was just that bit more I guess immature wasn't he, he was young he was passionate and and he, I think he as lost well, his head a wee bit then and the, yeah for the rest and of the, the game the thing is people yeah. said oh, oh he cried because he was going to miss the final but he didn't. He cried because he felt like he'd let the country down. Yeah. And that was what it was with him. And he, he said it so many times since. Like, the the outpouring of emotion wasn't wasn't a thing of, oh, no, if we get to the final, I'm not going to be able to play. It was, I've let everybody down now. And, like, all yeah. his family were there. And all he could think of was, if we get to the final, I'm not allowed to play. My family are here. Yeah. They're going to be disappointed. And, like... He 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 kind of held back a lot in that game because because it was such a chess match that game. 
it was the last 20 minutes when England were really planning to ramp things up. Robson said that afterwards he had game planned and he, what he felt was the perfect because Germany had come out and they'd, they'd kind of gone at teams early and got their goals and kind of dominated games, whereas England were happy to, to allow them to do that. Because if you look at that England defence, I mean, England haven't had a defence that good since. Yeah. You know, they, they, were, they were so strong at the time um, that... Yeah. It, really kind of set them apart you know even though like the Germans were really good as well obviously but England just had a really strong defense they had the perfect game plan and I think he thought he'd ruined it on everybody and then yeah like I I do personally I, I think had they got through to the final I think I don't think there's any doubt I think they would have beaten the Argentines because like it was a very poor Argentine squad very, very poor. No, they didn't play. No. And, 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 uh, no, what what they were were a pack of hatchet men, Dave. To be fair, they arrived <laughs> yeah, in the, they, they arrived in the night. No, seriously, John, it, it was the old know, style, I, South, I South American hitman stuff, and that's sort of <laughs> and some of that tackles that they put out. Like Jesus Christ, it's a wonder anybody got, was able to walk off the pitch. I, you know, the the, the Brazil got Argentina game, which I watched. My God, some of the tackles in that would you know in today's game, holy God, they're triple X rated. Oh yeah, and, and not if you forget think as it, well. I was going to say, let's not forget as well, England would have had the ultimate motivation for beating Argentina after what Maradona did in the World Cup before that. Exactly. Intentions were still rife after everything that had gone on. Yeah. Do you know, like, we had what? I think we had 16, yeah, 16 red cards in that tournament. And as as you've just said, Dave, like, if that was now, you'd probably have had 30 with some of the tackles. Like, it was just (laughs) wild. Like, and that, the other... There there was a tackle. There was a tackle by a Cameroonian guy in, in the opening game of this Excellent. tournament, and, and, he, and he was only booked for it. Jesus, his boot, boot was off and everything. And, and, and you know, the Argentinian player was, was, was near three rows back in the crowd. Like, if you, if you watch that game back now, it, it, it's not the same sport that we see today. <laughs> and, like, no, uh, the thing is, everybody came out. It would have been a red card in rugby, never mind yeah. football today. <laughs> it's like everybody came out afterwards and was like, oh, the Argentines, you know, like these African lads came and kicked them off the pitch. But the Argentines were kicking lumps out of the Cameroon players. <laughs> <laughs> and like, do you know what? Do you know what as well? See, when you're talking about those kind of tackles, I know that because there's probably younger listeners that are wondering, as you say, Dave, about, about football. And if you want to know what, what football was like, then, you know, you, you'll see some of these. But what I can tell you is if you go on YouTube and look at the 1988 FA Cup final, which is obviously two years before that World Cup, um, the tackle Vinnie Jones did on Steve McMahon in the first three minutes. It's, oh, yeah. it's Jeez, one of the most brutal was... things you'll ever see in your life. He absolutely empties him. He goes absolutely through him. And the best thing is McMahon doesn't even flinch. He just yeah. sort of looks at him. And then just gets up and jogs off. And it's not even a booking. And if it was now, um, oh, my God, they'd be playing that tackle for about a month. Um, as, uh, oh, you know. there'd be panels convened <laughs> to consider the, the, the suspension for him. And, like, it's great. Like, the, those, those tackles, they were known as two things. Setting the tone and, <laughs> and, and let, letting them know you're on the pitch. Well, you <laughs> let them know, know you're there. I'll <laughs> put my foot in your chest. And, and, and uh, you're you, Rosehead. You've arrived. Oh, you know you're at the game. <laughs> like just, but like obviously that that the other kind of player who came from nowhere to become a real star in that tournament. We've, we're talking with Gascoigne and 
on the Argies, obviously, was Sergio Goicochea, who, yeah. you know, was kind of this obscure goalkeeper. You know, it had a decent, solid career, but was, you know, was was never going to be number one um, for that Argentine team because um, obviously they had, as it, uh, Pomp- Pompidou. Pompidou? Um, yeah, Pompidou. Yeah, he was injured in the game. He in the first, mare, yeah. An absolute mare the first two games. Yeah. And then got injured. And then Goicoche came through and he was playing for like a club in Colombia at the time. And everyone was like, who's this fella? Like, that's the RG's done. And all of a sudden... And, and he, what's he, more, he they won. were on strike, Dave. They were on, the whole of Colombia's football league was shut down on strike yeah, at that time. about six months or something. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, and, and he becomes from nowhere to become like this star. And I'll never forget the, the commentary of the, the Andreas Bremer penalty in the final was Goicoche is beaten at last. It wasn't like Germany have just scored... And are now going to win the World Cup because there's like a couple minutes left. It was Goicochea is beaten at last because he had been phenomenal for them in you know the last group game, obviously, and then in the knockouts, winning them the penalty shootouts. He he just and then he just kind of disappeared again. That was it. Yeah. Well, here while we're on goalkeepers, I <laughs> I want to talk about a, the the best goalkeeper of all time, maybe for all the wrong reasons. Rene El Loco Higuita. <laughs> Who remembers him? Who could forget him? Oh, That's, what a guy. Put it like this. In today's world, if he was playing today, he he was the ultimate sweeper keeper because he was at the halfway line most of the time. Uh, you know, and, and do, do you remember that at Wembley against England, he did the mad kick the bat, uh, with the heels over the back of his head? The scorpion kick, that was it. And and, and he just was the most ridiculous. He looked like Rick James. <laughs> do, do you know how crazy he was, Dave? Do you know how crazy he was? He made Bruce Grobler look like Simon Mignolet. <laughs> That's how crazy Higuita was. More sensible than that. That man was an absolute maniac. Absolute, and, and, you know, he ended up costing Colombia in this tournament. They got, they got put out because he played with, with uh, another player we're going to talk about, Roger Mila, who caught him out in the halfway line, trotted past him into the empty net. But, like, but you, you, with, with Higuita, like, he, he, he was like, he was the Colombian first choice keeper for, like, quite a long time after this World Cup as well. But like he served prison sentences for like being involved in a kidnapping and been involved with Pablo Escobar, Escobar and stuff. It's like you're a professional football player, globally known, and yet yeah, that's how we're, that's how we're rolling it's, South America, mate. It's you know what do like? Oh, I can see just... why you went there, Dave. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't, don't even talk to me. You know. Do you know what though, Dave? Uh, there was a couple of great when you're talking about Aguita and all, but. When, when you're talking, I know you were about to talk about Miller there, but I thought that was a great group because you had the, the, the Cameroon group, you know, the Cameroon, Argentina, Romania, and it was the Soviet Union, wasn't it? It was a, the, the last tournament before the breakup of the Soviet Union. Mm, um, that, there were some great games, and that, that group had everything, did it? It had the upset with the RGs getting beat by Cameroon, uh, and then... Georgie Hadji. Do you remember Georgie Hadji? Oh, he was brilliant. Yeah, Romania. Romania beating a, a very strong Soviet team. Yeah. Yep. What a, what a, but yeah. they always were, Dave. Every yeah. Soviet team that came to any World Cup were a very, yeah. very strong outfit. And, and, and also somewhat of an, of an unknown because the unknown. Iron Curtain wasn't going up. Exactly. And that's the thing about this World Cup as well. It's It was the last World Cup before the breakup of the Soviet Union. 
and the last World Cup before the reunification of Germany. So yeah. it's quite historic from that sense as well, like because it's obviously and it's we, we lost Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia as well yeah, as countries right. after the yeah. Cup. Yeah, Do you know, that's like right. so from a historic point of view, it's it is literally it's the last of of an last of that 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 would be ever like that. You know, like yeah. with the West Germans that won the World Cup. I know, like everybody would automatically default and say it was Germany, but it was West Germany, and they they were actually unable to pick players who were playing for East Germany at the time who likely would have been part of the squad. It just, it, again, it just shows how strong German football was at the time. And that was something we would have all not really have had much idea about because, as we mentioned, there wasn't the TVs, you know, and the internet and all that we have now. You weren't yeah. getting to see these German players. Yeah. And Germany, obviously... They they benefited, didn't they, from that reunification and stuff? It, it didn't do them any harm. But uh, when you think of Yugoslavia and the breakup of, of and what a of, team of, that was! Oh, oh geez, I always they were always Yugoslavia, scary. With with freedom comes shit. Football teams compared compared to what they <laughs> compared to what they could have had because my God, there was a spell, Dave, with with uh, with Yugoslavia where literally, you know. Oh my God, Prozanetsky, Boban, Stoikovic, Savic. Oh, the names just, you, you could have had two teams of some of the best players I've ever well, seen. That's the thing, that, if you think about it, unreal. they became four or five teams, yeah. two or three of which were really good, like that Croatian They all held team. their own, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they that Croatian team in 96 blew people's minds, but Super we should have known because obviously a lot of it came... From the Yugoslav team, a lot of it was the Red Star Belgrade team of '91, you know, and this that this as well. This kind of introduced us to that generation of Yugoslav players who were at Red Star. So when they got to the European Cup final, and Chris Waddle repeated his inability to score a penalty, um, we we knew who the players were because we'd seen them in this World Cup. They weren't the big surprise that they That's would right. have been, say, two or three years beforehand. Like when, when say, Stoya Bucharest got to the final against AC Milan, we had no idea who these Stoya Bucharest players were because, as Dave yeah. said, the Iron Curtain was still down. But yeah. a couple of years later, and we know who these guys are. Right, I think we'll move on. And, you know, the group phases of this, um, you know, didn't cause very much drama. So, yeah. so what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at, at the, at, you know, the round of 16 and take it forward through to the final. Uh, and the first game up really is Brazil, Argentina, the super classical. Um, you know, the game was won by a goal by, by Claudio Canizia. And as I said in the intro, it, it's a goal that Argentina still to this day batter the Brazilians with. And to that end, I sat today and actually watched this game with, with Portuguese commentary. And uh, honestly, it's one of the funniest things I ever listened to. I've, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard Brazilians so downbeat and, and defeated in my, uh, in my life. Even the seven, the seven two beaten here that are the seven one beaten that they took from, from Germany wasn't like this. I mean, they, they were despondent, I suppose, because of the proximity and, and the old enemy of Argentina. And, you know, you're talking about a time where, this wasn't a great Brazil side. It wasn't what would be classed as one of the one of the greats, and it certainly wasn't even with Maradona, one of the greatest Argentinian sides either. Um, and, and and in the end of it all, Argentina were very lucky to make it through. But when you say that, it was a run from the halfway line by Diego Maradona, 
being McDiego Maradona, as only he can, fed Canicia on the left, bang, top corner. It, it, you know, when when the goal came, it, they, they just about edged that game. Um, do, do, do any of you have any more memories on it? Well, Dave, I was going to say... Oh, I was going to say there was two. Th- <laughs> there was there was two things. Really, there was the, the the two sides of Diego there. Uh, when I think back to that match, the the genius of the run, which was just vintage Diego. There was no one could could, could dribble like him. And then there was the so that was the genius side. And then you had the devil side of him, which is the story that came out that at half time, um. He passed Branca, the Brazilian, a water bottle. Um, and Branca didn't drink it, but the, he, he, Diego had, had put tranquilizers um, <laughs> in, in the water bottle. Branca came out after it and said, they tried to give me tranquilizers. And years later on Argentine D- TV, Diego actually admitted to it. So there was all sorts of skullduggery <laughs> with, with Diego back then. Genius on the pitch and... Wouldn't it be great if he got a job at a top European club now? <laughs> just oh, the comedy theater. of what would... It, it oh, just he's... so good. Like, he'd be the type that would headbutt the opposing manager. Like, if Mourinho just got all stroppy with him, he'd just nut him. <laughs> you just imagine him, like, handing out things spiked with, like, heroin or something to John Terry. <laughs> Here you go, you have a drink of that. Ref, he's cheating, he's got drugs in his system. Like, he's he was just... Like, um, we'll never see another Maradona because I just don't think he'd be accepted in the modern, modern game. Like, nah. I, I did a podcast earlier this evening talking about Goodfellas, the movie. And if you look in, read into Maradona's time in, in Naples, like, <laughs> he was involved with all of the mafia there. He was friends with them. They would come to his house. They gave him gifts. They just showered him and all this stuff. And, like, he's the guy that this World Cup was all about because he was the greatest player the world had seen. Well, Brazilians obviously would argue for Pele. Um, but he, he'd obviously carried Argentina to the 86 World Cup. It was going to be in the country he'd now adopted as, as his home. Some of the games are going to be in Naples, which the city had you know, had become an Argentine city rather than an Italian city. And then he just does, like, these mental things, like handing tranquilizer-laced water to <laughs> to his rivals. And, like, the thing about this as well, like, Dave, you're spot on. It's It's not a strong Brazilian squad, but it was the first time that we got to see Dunga, Romario, Bebeto, yes. you know, so we were getting to meet these players for the first time, and so then in 94, we knew who we were watching. And that's what this World Cup was. It just enlightened so many people and all these incredible players that we just hadn't yeah, seen. And, 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 and after it, we continued to see them. That was the difference. I think that yeah. was the big difference for me. You know, before, World Cups for me used to be this big adventure of new people, you know, new players that you never saw. You were, you were amazed by them. But then they disappeared and you had to wait four years later maybe to see them unless it was a European semi or a European final. Yeah. And, and you had to wait four years. And especially with the South Americans who weren't coming to Europe at all. No. Uh, and if they, and if they sure. did, they went to Portugal. Um, you, you know, and, and as I say, but... You know, the game down here, the people down here are slightly crazy. It's a South American thing, you know. And, you know, the likes of Diego Maradona drugging people and things like that. That's just a normal day at the office here yeah. in South America. You know, it is just that little bit more offbeat and that little bit more crazy. Um, at times I look out my window and just shake my head. And that's and I live in the quietest <laughs> place on earth. 
what it must be like in the cities, I have no idea. But listen, we'll move on. We'll sort of skirt over, um, you know, the Spain-Yugoslavia game. Yugoslavia won an extra time 2-1. And I think the only the only thing for, for me, I don't know what you guys think, you know, maybe the younger ones today think of Spain as this, you know, superpower nation. Spain were always the, the perennial underachievers at World Cups, even even their own in 82, um, yeah. as okay. a prime example. And, and, you know, they got to the quarterfinals, fell down, a bit like Ireland in the rugby. Um, you know, they never seemed to be able to get any further. They, 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 and, and then all of a sudden, I think it was about 2008, they just put that wonderful team together. And, and you know, we think of them differently now. Uh, but but Dave, the next you'd, be qu- doing a, you'd be doing a disservice if you didn't mention Stojkovic in that game. Um, uh, the, the, the great Stojkovic for you. <laughs> uh, well, then go Dragon ahead. It's all your- oh, he was, but it, what a player he was. Um, you know, just a real attack and midfield player, a class eye for goal, um, real crafty uh, player. And I, I remember from that game, he was the guy that he did the damage there um, for Yugoslavia. I think I can't. Was, did that one go to extra time? It, Dave, it was did. That, was, yeah, it, it did. Yeah. They, they beat Spain two one in extra time. And I think he got he got at least one anyway. He might have got he might have got the two goals, but I remember he he put on a master class in that game. Well, let, let, let's move you along to something that you, you might want to talk about a little bit in depth, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to go and put the kettle on. It's the, the, the Ireland-Romania game. Come on, Mr. Hendricks, give us your, give, give us your thoughts. It, I, I, I can remember watching this game in the pub because um, everybody went to the pub to watch this game. The whole country shut down. <laughs> and it's just like it's one of those games that's written into Irish folklore in more ways than one. Like there was a film made called The Van, based on a Roddy Doyle book. And it's about, for people that don't know, it's about these two best friends. One of them is a baker and gets made redundant. And he buys a chip van. And they start running the chip van during um, during the World Cup. But they go into the pub for like each of the games. And it's just, the one scene that always sticks out in my head is when Dave O'Leary steps up to take the last penalty. And someone goes, oh, it'll be fine. He takes all the Arsenal's penalties. And someone else sort of goes, does he fuck? He's never taken one in his life. <laughs> and that's what it was like. My uncle was an <laughs> Arsenal fan. And he's like, he was standing up and he's like, what's he doing taking the penalty? <laughs> and it was just like, it was just, we had so many heroes. And then all these stories come out afterwards. And you hear Jack Charlton saying that he, he took the players together. And he said to Kevin Sheedy, right, you're on the first one what are you going to do with it? And Sheedy looked at him and said, I'm going to run up and I'm going to bash it right over his head. And Charlton turned around and goes, right, that's it. We're not placing these penalties. We're going to bash them right over his head. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's just, it was such a, like, it was such an adventure for Ireland because obviously we'd been at the Euros in 88. We'd beaten the, we'd, we'd, you know, Houghton's wonderful header. We'd, Whelan's incredible goal against um, the 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 Czech, against the Soviet Union, and then obviously we got robbed against the Dutch, and that hasn't gone away. Um, but <laughs> we're st- you know, we're still we sore about that. Still <laughs> sore. We, we 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 hold grudges here, but we went to that World Cup, and like obviously we had the the group with England. So you know, we're playing England, we have the Dutch again, you know, and then we have Egypt, and obviously we managed to get get three draws and get ourselves through. 
And then we got Romania, and sure, none of us knew anything about Romania. Didn't know who they were, where it was. It's just some country crossed away that was locked behind some communist regime. And they had you know a bit these... about it now, don't you? Yeah, and that's they <laughs> had all these. <laughs> oh, well, that's it. Yeah, they have they have come over. Well, in fairness, you know, we beat them in the World Cup. It was kind of fair that we let them in afterwards. But um, like it, they they had all these wonderful players that you just you'd never heard of. You didn't know who they were. They the keeper looked a bit weird. He had the the mullet mustache kind of combination going on. Um, but they had just you know the likes of Georgie Popescu, who became a star. Haji, who became one of the best players in the world, Radachoyu, you know, was Haji's ex- executioner. He was known as uh, Dumitrescu, ended up at Spurs. You know, so we got to know that we got to know them a lot better in, in USA 94, where Romania really kind of burst on to the international scene. They had a great World Cup, but they like it was just such an adventure. And that game just kind of ebbed and flowed and both teams were kind of scared to lose and it was almost like they just kind of extra time started and they kind of looked at each other and went, you know what, we'll just play for penalties here and we'll see what happens um, and oh god, it was just it was brilliant with the penalty shoot at Bonner's save, like Bonner's save is probably the most iconic moment in in the history of Irish football um, well, even, but, as a, even as a northerner Dave, even as a northerner big nerdy prod I was up off the sofa for that. I'm telling you, it was it was a magnificent moment. You, yeah. you know what I mean. I, I'd supported them through graded teeth up to the quarters, and to be honest with you, see whenever that when he when they saved that penalty, I I was on board a hundred percent. Yeah, and the thing is, obviously, like there was a lot of tension on the island at the time, and we were right in the midst, midst of troubles, and you know there was such a divide, but something as simple as a game of football for a couple of weeks brought the whole island together and like in the last couple of years I've done quite a lot of research into Irish history especially centered around the troubles and stuff and you speak to people and and they they just immediately will mention this game and how it was like you know in in, in the different parts of Belfast and that where on one street it's Catholics and one street it's Protestants and there's big high walls and barbed wire in between Next thing, they were out standing at the end of the street where there's metal gates having a chat and everything was fine. And then, obviously, you know, we went to play Italy and, and the whole the whole island was supporting the Republic to play Italy because just football had united everybody. It's really weird, like, to kind of say things like football united a country, but it does. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon that just nobody can explain to me why it does it. No, and, and I've, I've spoken in these pods before about, you know, the 82 World Cup, the 86 World Cup for Northern Ireland, and, and we had Barry McGuigan sort of sandwiched in the middle between those two World Cups and, and slightly before it. And oh, what, I, yeah, you, you know what I mean? You're talking about glue for a country. There it was in three events. And, and you know what I mean? It was massive. And the other one that people have always mentioned to me is... Um, this was it Stephen Roach, the Tour de France. Yes, I remember him. Although and, maybe to a lesser degree, Dave. But yeah, oh yeah, to a much lesser degree. But again, it was something that we could all kind of get behind and kind of takes your mind off all the bad stuff that's going on. But in poor old Barry McGuigan just couldn't win either way because obviously everybody in the South wanted him to come out and say he was Irish. Everybody in the North wanted to come out and say he was British. At the end of the day, he's Northern Irish. And that's what he basically said. 
he's like, look, I'm Northern Irish. I was born on the island. Like, what do you want from me? Like, leave me alone. Like, but he was one of the guys. And obviously, as he said, and I, I the, the one thing I'm really looking forward to, with a bit of luck, Ireland will qualify and uh, and we'll have both teams at the Euros next year. And it's never happened for us to have both teams at, at, a, at a major competition. I think it's going to be special. <laughs> Summer of the Republic. As long as, as long as as long as we don't end up in the same group, it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine, then we'll I'm kill a, each other. <laughs> imagine with England. Imagine with England. Oh, Northern Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> that'd be brilliant. That'd be a peach. It'd be carnage. Do you know what uh, I remember about that? Do you know what I remember about the Ireland Romania game more than anything else? I think I watched it in the house, and I remember we were all sitting watching it, and um. I just remember on the day, it was a pretty poor game, wasn't it? It was nil-nil. Um, and I just remember it was Hadji against Packy Bonner. It turned into a shootout. And Georgie Hadji just decided, right, nobody's doing anything in this game. And he must have hit two or three unbelievable sort of shots, 20, 30 yards. And every time it was just just Bonner was yeah. there. He, he, he defied him and then he... Uh, he he obviously saved the penalty as well. And as a Donegal man, I remember up in Donegal, we were all we were all so proud because the Donegal connections with with Ireland were the, the main ones were Packy Bonner and and Ray Houghton. And I'd always say to the people elsewhere in Ireland that they always talk about Roy Keane and Dennis Irwin, who are obviously two very good players, um, to say the least. Um, I always felt that the greatest moments in Irish football were Packy's penalty save, Ray Houghton's goal against Italy. Mm. Uh, in, in USA 94 and Ray Houghton's goal against England and Stuttgart so I yeah. always say with, without a hint of bias that Donegal provided the three greatest moments in Irish football history yeah. so yeah it's not Daniel O'Donnell anyway we've seen Strictly come down so oh, we, uh, we uh, Daniel. On, uh, you've, got, you've, got, you've got a nice Daniel O'Donnell story John don't you no, I do not. I'm, I'm not telling any Daniel O'Donnell story. Do, 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 do you I'll want any it. listeners left? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I've just thought of the story. No, I'll, I'll tell the guys off off the pod. This could be out of the night. Listen, we'll, we'll move on. And, and the next quarterfinal I want to talk to or talk about is the West Germany Netherlands game, which ended up being quite a spicy affair. Again, you yeah. talk about crazy refereeing decisions. Rudy Voller got a yellow card for absolutely nothing. Right card had spat at him, yeah. uh, which he did twice. And all he did was protest and he got yeah, I mean, was, And then he did something daft a couple of minutes later and got sent off. And then the two of them got sent off and, and, and uh, right card spat at him again. And I think it was, you know, it's just one of the most ridiculous moments in World Cup history. It, it was a real grudge match. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was, and I think so long. Yeah, and, and and obviously as well, the thing was that game was played in Milan, and at the time uh, there was a real big thing about the three that you know Hullet, Rijkaard, Van Basten playing with Milan. You had Matthias, Klinsmann, Bremer playing for Inter, so they were big rivals. And yeah. obviously there was no real contest there. That Milan team were were a force of nature, um, so they were always getting the upper hand on them. So I think that was the one occasion where. Uh, Matthias and the boys got 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 one over them, um, but two, they they were two really good sides, weren't they, Dave? They were they were, they were packed with super players. Those those two teams, the Dutch just weren't quite at the level they were in the Euros. You know, I think Van Basten had, had a few injury problems. He wasn't quite the 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 player, and and the Germans just had a bit too much for them. Um, mm. on, on that one, wasn't that's one of the standout games, but. 
unfortunately it does stand out for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like it, the, the spitting thing. But like the the Fuller thing is just brilliant because Reichardt blatantly spits at him and Fuller walks about like power walks about twenty yards over to the referee holding this one string of hair and pointing at it, going, Look, he spat at me and gets booked for it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like you, you, anybody younger needs to go and and watch this instant because the, the as you say the, the perm mullet the big moustache you've got to see this it is a comedy moment in football <laughs> yeah so I think at this point it's a nice a nice time to actually take a break here considering we we spoke at this pod for for nearly three hours around Italia ninety uh, so we decided with that in mind to break it down into two parts. So we're going to release them together. You can go directly to uh, you can go directly to part two if you wish now, or obviously you can wait and, and digest it w- w- when it suits you. Uh, I'd just like to thank everybody for listening, and as I say, you know, we will continue this on. Uh, we'll continue it on in part two, and we look forward to your company for that. So, for myself, Dave, Karen, and uh, the panel for now, uh, it's, it's good night and thanks for listening. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.